in a world in the year 2017 in a time of tradition in a city where anything can happen in a war that isn't his every day in new york city on the miami police force in the deep south video store for the latest episode of late fees where it's all movies in no movies out i'm justin here with pafif and eric damn tell me how you really feel <laughs> I, I was a lot that was a little more uh you know a little more news <laughs> that, that came through crystal clear eric just the Eric became an emoji for a second. He looked up with disgust. I just did the white man blink gif. What? <laughs> you know oh. me? Uh, latest episode. Uh, of course, as always, we are not at full power again. This episode. Uh, Cam is on location. He's got a he's got a special special visitor to to LA this weekend. Um, and I wish him and and his wonderful lady friend a wonderful weekend. I do know that he, I mean, we could probably call him, but I do know that he did watch some of the movies because we use the same streaming service. I let him use mine and I've seen them up. <laughs> and I, I always think it's funny when I get on there after not being there for a while is I get like this, uh, this old crotchety father figure kind of attitude where it's like this fucking kids watching <laughs> beyond. And you know that he's just watching it with Drew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so shout out to Cam. Uh, he is uh, he's living his life. He will be on the next episode of Late he, Fees. He watched the movies for the episode, and then we kind of goat fucked him uh, a little bit on when we were scheduling it. So uh, it's it's busy. I have an event coming up. Eric has an event coming up. You know, uh, Pat is Pat. You were gone over the weekend, over Labor Day weekend, and it just didn't work out. It didn't work out at all. Hey, Late Feast days booked and busy, baby. You know, we, but you know, we're going to be back at full power. No worries, guys, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we are, we are going to, you know, we're going to get it straight. We're going to, we're going to do it the, the right way. But before we get into uh, basically the, the episode, we're going to, we're going to be uh, reviewing the movies of the great Karen Kusama. We took 10 minutes trying to find out how to how to say her name correctly before we started this episode. We just wanted to be sure to make sure it uh, wasn't like a tomato-tomato situation. Uh, Got to show respect to the God. And then it wasn't either of our options. I have been saying Corinne Kusama since uh, Girl Fight. <laughs> well, you know... I was saying, like, who's gonna get mad at us if we if we mis you know mispronounced it? But you know what? I commend Eric for taking the time to to really uh, make sure that it's correct. You know, we're all about authenticity here on Late Feeds. You feel yeah. me? Yeah, we we don't no, we don't cut corners, baby. No, not at all, not at all. Uh, but before we get to her movies, I want to ask you guys what you've been watching. Oh man. Um... You know, I've been trying to play catch up with with um, 
my TV shows, and I'm still uh, the sole member with uh, Pat, a part-time member of Lodge 49 Hive. Uh, the Wyatt I gotta Russell, finish it. Kayla and I yeah, like the show a lot. Yeah, the Wyatt Russell, um, uh, <laughs> magical realism, surfer stoner, uh, fantastical drama, and the, his it, hair is what I'm going for. You look like him now with the the reddish rosy beard. If y'all could see Pafit's beard right now, it uh, puts my, put mine to shame for sure. Epic but, beard. Uh, please text my mom this. Epic, please, please epic please beard man. Remember Epic Beard Man on the the, the viral bus fight. Oh yeah, <laughs> the Vietnam vet went went sicko mode. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Lodge Forty Nine, um, movie wise, I can't even um, can't even deny uh, talking about this again. But I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for the second time at the New Beverly last night. Yeah, baby, and it's it's even more magical um, the second time around. And like I was telling Pat off mic, just like. I know it's corny and like the, the most easily uh, entertained and indulged uh, fans love this kind of shit. But like seeing it at the new Bev where like the lobby art is like curated <laughs> around the movie. Like there's like photos of Dean Martin and Sharon Tate from the wrecking crew. Like thing like the memorabilia and the iconography you see in the movie, you walk out in the lobby and then see that you're just like, oh, okay, this is fucking rad. But uh, Brad Pitt, get that best supporting Oscar at uh, best supporting actor, Oscar off King. Uh, still the funniest and most heartwarming performance of the year. Go off. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, I've been watching a lot of, you know, weird kind of strange movies. I've been, I've been saying it in our group chats and everyone just kind of ignores me when I talk about these movies. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) everyone ignores me. It's okay. I, I, I watched Blackula, uh, two weeks ago. I liked your letterbox review of Blackula. I, I really love Blackula. I went down and rewatched Batman uh, v Superman: Dawn of Justice last weekend. <laughs> can, can I can I interrupt you really quick? I'm sorry, man. Anytime I hear Blackula, I think of the funniest Michael Scott Daryl moment in The Office. <laughs> and I know it's super normy to like bring up The Office, but it's a Halloween episode. Daryl, played by the great Craig Robinson, is just Dracula. But when Michael sees him, he goes Blackula, and Daryl just goes. <laughs> Dracula, <laughs> you racist asshole. Oh, I, I wish you guys could see the stone face that you just interrupted my whole spiel to do that. To do office callbacks. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, we're watching. I, I hate you both. Um, I also watched Batman 1989. Ooh. Maybe in prep. Well, I bought these movies on 4K, so I had to watch it. Like, I was trying to watch uh, BVS by other means, and it kept, like, buffering so i was like you know what fuck this i'm gonna buy this and then as i was buying it on my new apple tv i saw batman 89 in 4k and i said this is one of my favorite movies ever and mm. it, it still is one of my my favorite movies ever still a great movie just it's the nicholson keaton show man as as much as i am still buying and eric to a lesser extent but as much as we the two of us are still buying uh blu-rays uh, you buy a lot of things in 4K. You, you your 4K collection is nothing to sneeze at. I I love like seeing that. Like I seeing the the difference. And I've I've just now just become a 4K TV owner. Like a couple of months ago. So it's like I was telling my girl like I was like I have to go like rewatch all of it. Like you know I have to rebuy all of this shit now. You know it's like. You can, I mean, like streaming, you're still getting something off the internet. Like it's not going to look that good streaming in 4K. Okay. It's not the same thing as having it 
downloaded in 4K or on a disc. Yes. Uh, I also watched for the first time, and Eric will love this, I watched MacGruber. And Turn up. I have not laughed this hard ever. This makes, me, this okay. makes me so happy to hear. I've been, I've been trying to get, I mean, Pat's already watched it, but this I, makes me I've been trying like to get Justin fool. to watch this it. Makes, now I just regret, like, I, I wish I wish we would have watched it together. Like, I shouldn't have watched it by myself. I, it, was a, it was a foolish mistake. Essentially, I was watching it by myself, and I, I, you know, usually when you're watching a movie by yourself, you don't really, like, laugh like that, but I was really weak during this movie. Like, I lost it at countless scenes. I want to rewatch it again. It's on HBO Go, so I was just, like, flipping through things. I ended up watching this and Justice League back-to-back, which is, what a what a weird... <laughs> your brain. I swear your brain is something else. <laughs> what a weird thing to do. Um, and lastly, I watched Ready or Not which I really enjoyed. Like Everybody is loving it. Fuck yes. I love this movie. I think it's clever. Have you guys seen You're Next? Of course. Mm-hmm. It's like oh. that. It's kind of like that, but it, with a different... It, it's the same type of movie as, as You're Next, and which I love movie that, like, that I love, but it's very much like... There, there's like supernatural elements to it, which I won't okay. spoil. Um, it's violent. It's really hilarious like I, I thought i think it's one of my favorite movies i've seen all year yeah everybody i know who, who's seen it has liked it and i really want to see it and the the craziest thing is when they canceled you know that movie the hunt that they canceled i thought it was this movie so did i like yeah. well the fact that this movie came out like like isn't is ready or not not about like I think hunting the one percent i don't think there's any guns in ready or not it's like crossbows and shit no, okay. it, there are guns but it's oh. not about, it's about the one percent hunting a person okay so it's like the most dangerous game type of shit but it's not really like the hunt because again it, there are supernatural aspects to this it's not it's 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 very it's not straight faced at all it's very kind of silly and goofy and 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 really kind of uh grindhouse ish all right yeah, I, I it's high on my priority list. I've seen, yeah, I've, I, seen I, people, I've seen people singing its praises the same way. Like Crawl was getting um, some unexpected love earlier this summer. Hey man, I've found myself enjoying these mid me like these mid level movies over the summer more than I enjoyed a lot of the blockbusters. I, I don't think any of the blockbusters really um, at the you know at the top of the, everyone's list this year are going to be in my top ten. So. I definitely mid-level movies actually have like a sense of self and like fun and worth as opposed to like either existing like the idea that something either can exist to sell toys or exist to make a billion dollars or do <clears throat> or do both yeah. is fucking insane. Yeah. But uh really, really enjoyed Ready or Not. And th- that's everything I was watching this week. What about you, Pat? I'm hurting here. I'm uh the the the, the back-to-back weekends of travel or two out of three weekends of travel has stripped me of seeing any movies really yeah. uh, I'm, i think the last movie i watched that i hadn't seen before was is still san andreas unfortunately which oh, is wow. just awful uh, I've, I've slowed down a lot too at the last like because i was seeing movies every week you know earlier this summer as it went on like mid-july i just completely stopped i kind of burned myself out on it because I watched a lot this summer, too, or at least a lot for me. Yeah, and I mean, now we're about to ramp back up with It coming, uh, Joker's coming, which which I want to talk about a little bit before we get into the episode proper, and a lot of different uh, other movies coming out as well. 
Yeah, the TIFF stuff, even though, I mean, not, not even just the Joker stuff, but the other stuff out of TIFF has me really hyped, or some of it, you know. Uh, so, speaking of Joker, uh, reviews are out. It, it's been screened at Venice and a lot of other places for the past two weeks. Um, rave reviews. Uh, the movie is currently sitting at around maybe like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Really unexpected how critically acclaimed it is. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix's performance is, of course, getting a lot of praise here. King. Ben, uh, I mean, he's the best actor alive. He, he's absolutely the best actor alive. I mean, I... Uh, I get that we're at a volatile fucking time, but we cannot be doubling down on the video games cause violence of it all. And, and yeah, and that's that's what I want to talk about, you know, besides his performance, like the online discourse. There are a lot of things going against this movie or really, I mean, I won't say going against it, but I mean, going against it in, in the sense of the discourse around it. One, it is a DC movie. Or a DC just, I think at this point, especially from the angle we're known to take on these movies, excuse me, we can just acknowledge the fact that for some reason in this time period right now, people just w- don't want these DC movies to be successful. Uh, I mean, remember, I what movie, else to say. remember when this movie was announced and when we found out who was directing, who was acting in it, everyone, it was completely negative. It was utterly negative it was it was almost like unanimously negative i i was even kind of like i don't really know and but of course it was announced during a turbulent time in the wbdc universe thing and you know a yeah, lot of questions was still settling from the post justice league bloodbath yeah and now that it's out you still see people that even with the reviews are saying this is looking like it's going to be like, kind of like a, they're treating it like it's like a green book type thing where it's like, no, there's, there's no way it can be this good. And now they're equating it to being an uprising movie or empowering movie for incels and, and game creators <laughs> and stuff like that. Okay. I don't, I don't want to, it's weird because I do, I am like very staunchly of the opinion that, video games cause violence, rap lyrics desensitize you to violence. Like that is crazy talk. Uh, and I'm regurgitating some of this from elsewhere, but that is, that's an opinion of, that's a conservative opinion from the late eighties and nineties. Like that's crazy that we are at this point now. It, I will acknowledge that it is exceptionally shitty that the people we're worried about this influencing re I mean, it's not, it's, it's not the same thing as being worried in a racist way, being worried that black people would riot after seeing do the right thing. It isn't quite the same thing because there's literally no reason to think that black people can't handle seeing do the right thing. But there is a reason to think that, the people who the, the the young white guys who perpetuate almost every one of these shootings or the young white guy who stays in his house until he's 55 and then perpetuates this shooting. Th- these guys are, we know for a fact that these guys are more influenced by media yeah. than other types of people. Yeah. That, yeah, but, that is true. That's an irrefutable thing. Yeah. But the idea but is that the fucking Joker movie 
has been into being the movie that will galvanize these people is crazy. It doesn't appear to be a movie. Like we don't know it to be a movie that is yeah, glorifying but, violence or anything. Yeah, like, like, but, I mean, it's even it's been confirmed that it's really not like there's no. It doesn't take a side. Like pe- reviews have even said it. There's no type of incel ish vibe with the movie at all. It's just going off of how people are reacting to it. Like even last weekend, there was someone on Letterboxd that put up a fake review, which I pointed out that ironically, this guy put up a fake review. They had actual incels following him and saying they love the review. Same guy has a four and a half star review for Endgame on his account. So it's like, the just the the, the dissonance there is, a, is wild. Yeah, it's it's sort of becoming this like Mobius strip. It's like a it's like a it's like a feedback loop of like this movie really didn't like accelerate the incel talk until its critics accelerated the incel but talk. But even they, I would say, didn't really do it. It basically not that they didn't participate in it in some ways, but it basically got memed into the point of where it is now. Yeah, and now it's because it's, sorry, just, just before like, memes memes in a way that is getting more rapid are basically the one thing that influences everything. Almost every moment we're living now is encapsulated by its meme rather than the actual moment itself. Right. And Joker the through the roll of the dice got memed into being this incel thing. Right. And like and it goes back to what Pat was saying like no one should ever take lightly the the sort of radicalization or or you know rise in a movement of like these incel this incel base is a threat and they are scary and that is a legitimate threat that everyone should be monitoring and should be disappointed in anytime they endorse the worldview of any piece of art but that doesn't mean the art is endorsing their worldview so it's like you kind of have to – it is a tricky tightrope to walk. And, like, I'm not going to leap down anybody's throat for being nervous about a certain – this sort of art or any art falling into the wrong hands. But going back to the memification of everything, like, the meme sort of created – it's sort of like this self-generating meme that's, like – it's really weird to watch. Like, the meme collapsing in on itself to become reality or reality collapsing in itself to become – the, the meme it's like it, i can't tell maddening. the difference i can't tell the difference anymore and like that's that's an that's an indictment of social media and twitter and and the internet that's not an indictment of the fucking joker or todd phillips or like the really intelligent people behind this movie like that, like joaquin that, phoenix right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't that's an insult to zazzy beats to to joaquin phoenix like say whatever i don't i don't know the politics of of um Todd Phillips that well. I mean, he's made you know, some fratty bro, bro stuff, but like, I don't think the guy's a fucking incel supporter. Like, it's nor would he could nor would he like take this movie knowing that it was going to do that. Right. Scorsese yeah. was supposed to do it at first, and like, it, it is a legitimate remake, a retelling of the King of Comedy, the Scorsese movie starring Robert De Niro. That's why Robert De Niro's in this shit. Like, I think he's not in it. De Niro's in yeah. it. No, he bailed. Oh no, Baldwin Bailey. Yeah, yeah. He is the host yeah. that like dunks on the Joker that like breaks his heart and becomes this you know, aggro, fuck the society kind of guy. And I'm an idiot. I don't want to get on that high of a political horse or whatever the fuck phraseology I should be using is. But when people are worried that the Joker, the clown prince of crime, will influence people to do a shooting, guess what? 
He already did. There was a guy who dyed his hair and shot up a theater of Batman viewers. The Thing, Aurora shooting? Yeah. But wasn't he like dressed as Bane? Like it was well, like, kind of, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. okay. Batman <laughs> has already influenced the shooting. Yeah. Things have only gotten worse and right. easier for shooters since that has happened. People care more about the idea that this could influence a shooter more than they do about shootings. Yeah. And like, don't even fucking get me started like about like influential like agitprop and propaganda. Like, Literally today, a Jack Ryan trailer dropped. It's encourage. It's like state propaganda encouraging regime change in Venezuela. Like I watched the whole first season of Jack. That Ryan. is going to actually get an entire country killed. Like I, I, I don't know, man. It's just like I feel like we're we're tilting at windmills here, and like not to say the incel threat is windmills. Like that is a legitimate threat, but tilting at the windmills of of fan like of certain fandoms getting a hold of the wrong art and then try i don't know man it's again this cycle it can happen but both on both sides people are being really hyperbolic like yeah it's yeah, true. Blame on both sides it's true but find people on both sides um that was a joke folks like uh, i saw i saw a tweet that was like i bet they'll do they'll check purses and they'll check black people for a straight out of compton but they won't check anyone for joker and it's like is this what we're doing? I mean, it, it, it's wrong. It's like that was wrong. The world okay. has broken everyone's brain. No one can separate themselves from the art. But we're now at the point where if you like the Joker, you're endorsing incel tendencies. Even if it's it's a it's a slippery slope. The fact but it's it's fucking some slopes are slippery. Yeah, the fact that we're even having this conversation, like, I mean, we're clearly fumbling over our word. Like we're we're trying to figure this this very 2019 or 20 you know post 2016 phenomenon out in real time because it is clunky and disorienting because like the the veneer of like reality that we used to have is like just shrinking by the day because of like social media becoming the driver of all conversations so it's like what you have conversations off social media and it's like hard to, I don't know, like re recapture the context of it. I don't know. Like it's, it's a nightmare. Uh, you know who would love I, this? Who? The Joker. Yeah, this is, this is what the Joker wanted. <laughs> man. We're feeding into the Joker's plan. Let's, but it's like, whatever, like zero dark 30, like, you know, uh, endorse torture and like nobody gave a shit. But like, I like the part where they buy him a Lamborghini. <laughs> so I don't know. See the movie. Be be cautious because there are legitimately psychos out there, and just um, um, I don't know, man. The world's burning. Whatever. Yeah. So, okay. I'm, I'm down by conversations. Psycho like is not an endorsement of Norman Bates. Titanic is not an endorsement of Titanic. Some movies are shitty, fucked up endorsements of what they portray. Yeah. That doesn't mean we have to go into them assuming that's what they are. And also, like two weeks ago, we had this conversation that movies do not influence violence. Video games do not influence violence. Those seven people are now saying this movie will cause violence. And like, you know, I'm actually of this. I'm of the school. I'm a little, you know, this might be like you know, retrograde of me, but like, I don't think movies inspire violence. I just think they make us numb to when it does happen. Um, and that, that is something we can monitor, but like the data isn't in like, we're, we're not gonna be able to talk about this until we're all dead from gun violence. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, the absolutely. Joker. It's the Joker. Oh, 
And All right, let's 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 get the longest this. hair we've ever gone on there. Where we like, we're like, we don't have a de definitive conclusion. It's just like, fuck it. Well, we won't have a definitive conclusion because no one's seen the fucking movie, so like, we can't. Exactly. Yeah, we, we, the second time I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the only trailer they showed in the dome was for the seven millimeter Joker trailer, and it was arresting. Love it. Uh, let's get on to Corinne, Karin, sorry, Kusama. Yeah, baby. Uh, I think we've been waiting to do this episode for quite some time. Uh, she, I think it was originally between her and there was another, there was someone else. I think it was um, Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, Bigelow. Yeah. Bigelow. It was between. Well, I, I think like Bigelow's movies, though, so we didn't want to do the episode. Yeah, Point yeah. Break. Besides Point Break, uh, that's. And the part where they buy the Lamborghini in Zero Dark Thirty. <laughs> We ended, yeah. up, we, we ended up doing Keanu regardless, so I kind of canceled everything out for for Bigelow. So we said, you know what, let's let's come back to Kusama and really talk about her because she's really like an underrated gem in a lot of ways. True, uh, as far as you know, directors go, and and it, I mean, really, just women in in direction go. Like I I was introduced to her not even knowing that it was her when I saw Eon Flux <laughs> back in the day. Yeah that that fucking movie. Man, Eon Flux, oh boy. Uh and I mean from there Jennifer's body we we all have, have seen that we, which we will be talking about as the focal point of the first half yes. of this episode. And also uh the invitation which is I think all of our favorite movies such an LA movie. Oh yeah uh, it's great. I mean, I, I, not not to undercut Jennifer's body, which I love. Yeah, uh, she made her feature film debut uh, in two thousand with Girl Fight, uh, which she won a uh, the Award of the Youth Award at the Cannes Film Festival, and Girl Fight mode. Yeah, she was. Uh, I remember seeing things about Girl Fight. I, I think like I was like a kid, and I think they had interviewed her or something on Good Morning America or something like that. I remember it because. It was like 2000, and I used to like sit in my mom's room while I got ready for school, and like I remember seeing Girlfriend and being like, "Wow, this looks kind of crazy." So it's Michelle Rodriguez punching dudes, and uh, from there, I mean, she kind of catapulted into uh, doing. She did a lot of TV. She's she's done a lot of TV. Yeah, honestly. she's done. She's. I, I, I would hazard to guess that you know her her bread and butter has come more from television. Yeah, I was gonna say film. this has probably subsidized her indie filmmaking career. <laughs> she probably yeah. makes money directing like six episodes of like the l word uh or like billions yeah and uh, then she directed the l word when the l word was still getting like dvd sales money yeah she's she's probably still eating off that and like masters of sex and like network shows like see that that's sort of like i mean wes anderson's doing fine now but he was directing like american express commercials yeah. when like his movies were making like you know indie box office specialty box office numbers like they all run to tv to like you know help help cash those checks um, and from there, uh, they gave her a gigantic bag, <laughs> uh, a, a bag of around 65 million to direct Eon Flux, uh, a science fiction movie based on an MTV anime, uh, created by Peter Chung, which aired on their, their animation block, uh, in 1991, I think it ended around 1996. Man, shout out to MTV for... I've I know that they get a really bad rap, and rightfully so, for basically abandoning music over the past two decades. But their random non-music content has always killed it. And True. shout out to them for putting an anime on. Uh, so she directed Charlize Theron 
<laughs> you know what? This didn't get as big of a reaction as the Ghost in the Shell did two years ago. Well, this was before Twitter and and these conversations were being had in a main sh- in a, not just a mainstream way, but like a where actual voices of color were driving the conversation. So, like, um, this was like a foreign because what the original um, the the original character was Japanese, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised to find out that a studio told Kusama that. Kusama directing it actually meant more so that they had to go with a white actress right. in the lead. I'm sure Karin, I mean, if, if the the internet, uh, the annals of internet history uh, turn up any searches, I'm sure Karin had a woman of color, an, an Asian woman, um, at least in mind for this. Where it's for like, sure. Yeah, you know, but that that's, that's, you know, Hollywood's been doing that since the dawn of time where it's like, yeah, we're going to tell this very cool story about a person of color or, you know, a minority community, but we're going to swap them out with a white famous actress or actor. And in that case, it was Charlie Theron, who had for all intents and purposes has, has, has been a really above board when it comes to that. This was sort of a, a blip on the, um, on her, on her radar. No one really talks about this at all. That, think, that, sorry, go ahead. No one talks about that. This movie happened. No one talks about that. This movie was like literally a thing like Gail and Heard produced this movie. Yeah, it, it, it was ahead of its time. I mean, granted, it wasn't that. I mean, from what I did read about it, like the the nominal, you know, production horror stories, like I think this movie was ripped away from Corinne at some point and the money people, like sort of what happened to David Lynch and Dune. It's like the money people sort of came in and like, okay, you're done here. We'll take it from here. And it, the VFX looked like shit. Yeah. And well, it, yeah. Uh, and Kusama, was, sorry. Said, Kusama said that after finishing this film, uh, the studio – uh, did take this away from her. Shout out to uh, Paramount for this. And they said that it was too much of an art film and they changed large swaths of the movie and heavily re-edited it. Like, I have no clue what this movie will or was supposed to look like, but uh, it was really bad. I saw it in theaters uh, back in the day because I was a big fan of Eon Flux and it, it was really the most painful 92 minutes I had ever sat through in my young life. Yeah, I, I when I went back to watch this, I was thinking I was going to have like a similar experience that I had to uh, when I rewatched uh, Ang Lee's Hulk, like flopped when it came out, absolutely torn apart by critics. But you watch it now and like you see the heart and charm and like, yeah, the sort of artistic ambition that it had. But I went back and watched this. I was like, no, you can. This has no no sort of soul. To it this was movie. shocking. Like, yeah. The fact that the studio cut it for her basically makes sense because this was the first time I'd seen it and I thought it was gonna be like oh this is cool it was like this is a fun product of its time I like what it did with you know XYZ yeah no no really boring really weird and poorly edited obviously yeah, yeah. uh Peter it Chung weird. it is just weird it is weird <laughs> Peter Chung said uh he was initially optimistic about the film but he and he was impressed with the sets but he's called the movie a travesty saying that the movie's creators claim to love the original, but they're not, they don't extend the faith to that uh, of their audience. They soften it for the public, which isn't hip, hip enough to appreciate the raw, pure, unadulterated source uh, like they do. I don't remember the anime being like that. I remember the anime being just as weird as the movie, but it's just that the movie didn't have any of the, like, the visual flourish that the anime was able to convey uh, back on MTV. Yeah, I would say the, the watching the movie the other day, 
everything either looks so soundstaged or a soundstage replaced with just the worst CGI that it, it the, the, the look of the movie has no uniformity. So by the time you get to the scenes where like they're sprinting over the field where the sharp grass is, it's like, holy shit, this is happening. What are y'all doing in the background? Eric just reached into a bag of M&M's. Sorry, I can, I can hear it really, 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 really loud. Oh, it's right in front of the mic. Um, no, but if I'm just keeping it a buck, that final fight in Black Panther isn't too far removed from the quality of. Uh, Great <laughs> <laughs> no. hate mail, uh, Pat. You say in your notes here. Uh, it would be better if it was made today. I I don't know if I agree with that. I think you that said, I said that because you and Eric said that. I I don't think it would. When I rewatched it, I was like, "This is gonna. This was gonna be ass. It was always meant to be ass." I I didn't like Alita this year, so like you know, people they people like really get at me for that. I think it probably would have been the Alita of 2019. Probably would have been terrible to me. Oh uh, well, yeah. I was gonna say people seem to be coming around on Alita, and I think that might. History, Sammy likes it. Yeah, I, I think um, I think history will be kinder to Alita for sure. Um, but, I think I would say if the internet had been around for this, the history maybe may have been kinder to this movie. That, that's kind of true. Um, I think if it was made today with Karim, with a different lead, and the sort of cultural permission to be a weird superhero uh, adjacent kind of film, I think it might actually like sort of like Alita. I think I think it could thrive, but if if this exact movie comes out today, then fuck no. Uh, later, uh, not even later, four years after this, uh, Karin was tasked with adapting Diablo Cody's script for Jennifer's body into a, it's a, what, like, what can we say this movie is? It is, it's a dark comedy, yes. It's, I'd say, yeah, dark comedy, supernatural comedy. Horror uh, comedy. Wow. Um, uh, it, lesbian movie uh it is it's it's it got a storied history in uh queer yeah, cinema it's queer, it is queer cinema i just would say queer cinema not lesbian movie okay well it's, it's, a, it's queer cinema and the subcategory is is lesbian that's fair okay uh jennifer's body is also a very kind of like pre me too era movie where it, it not i can't say it foresaw what was happening but it definitely does push back against negative toxic masculinity and you know empowers the women in the movie as well uh the movie stars megan fox uh amanda seyfried say how do you say her last name i think it's seyfried seyfried yeah okay sure uh adam brody and johnny simmons uh the the basic story is is about uh the relationship between anita and jennifer uh, who is a popular cheerleader uh who become friends and essentially there is a uh there's like a really it, and it's really uncomfortable to watch these these scenes with with Jennifer and the band uh low shoulder <laughs> yeah low shoulder is a great band name for these guys though i got to say so uh they is essentially she, i mean she Jennifer dies <laughs> yeah she hangs out with low shoulder and she dies as a result and from there she comes back to life as a specter or, or kind of like a zombie that you know, uh, is essentially taking revenge uh, for her death and really kind of fucking up the life of Anita, who is, is you know, trying to uh, not be so needy <laughs> anymore. And 
another movie that was misunderstood. Oh, now I'm saying another movie because I don't think Eon Flux was misunderstood. It was just bad. This movie, <laughs> this movie kind of caught an unfair rep because I think of the sort of lopsided cultural moment as well, where this was a movie of and by and for women uh, with female leads written by Diablo Cody, directed by Karin Kusama uh, that dealt with female desire, female sexuality, female violence, just female uh, friendship. Yeah. Female. And yeah, just casual friendship that, you know, things that we have always seen through the, the lens of men about men of men as the default where it's like, insane that we have to say like female sexuality or female comedy, whatever. It's like that was sort of pushing back at that sort of cliche stereotype of like how reductive these titles are and why these movies always suffer. And this movie kind of in a meta way suffered because of these things, uh, because of the very things it was lampooning. Um, but yeah, I, of course I didn't like it. I saw this as a, what, 17 year old kid. It was 2008. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. No, actually it might've been later than that. Sorry. Justin. It was 2009. Okay, so yeah, in my early twenties, and uh, yeah, I, I like I didn't get the appeal because like, but now like it's so crazy watching like the the heel turn or like the about face I've done on Juno, which is like, you know, regarded as Diablo Cody's masterpiece. You won an Oscar for it, but sucks. like, fucking sucks. Like this twee bu- Tumblr bu- pre Tumblr bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's a terrible movie. Yeah, um, but, but this movie fucking rips. It's like you now that you like watch it with the lens of like this is camp, this is satire, this is you know, very self-aware, it fucking shreds. If it came out, now, this is a movie where it's not like the influx where a different version of the movie would have to come out now to be good. Jennifer's body, other than, you know, the updates it would have to make for coming out 10 years later, just in terms of production. I think this would be appreciated. I think so too. It could be the exact same. It probably would go straight to Netflix, but it could be the exact same movie that we're seeing right now. Yes, but I was going to say on Netflix or on streaming or whatever, it would find an audience. Like it yeah. would be a, a crawl or something. Like yeah. not like not, not that this would end up being a movie that people loved, but like Velvet Buzzsaw or like something yeah. like that. Like you would just turn it. You'd be like, oh, Megan Fox is in this. Holy shit. I'll turn it on right now. And I think also because of like her feud with Bay that ended her involvement in Transformers and just being pigeonholed ultimately as like, you know, uh, a sex appeal actress more than more, not more than anything else, only a sex appeal actress. uh, She kicks ass in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's, I mean, let's talk more about it. She disembowels guys. (laughs) Yeah. uh, The lighter on the tongue is a classic. Everyone loves it. Uh, and, and I mean, you was you eventually find out that Little Shoulder had taken her into the woods after that. The uh, the, the bar catches on fire uh, in the beginning, uh, before before we find out what happens to her. But Little Shoulder was trying to offer her as a virgin sacrifice to Satan for for riches, and that is where uh, Jennifer's powers essentially come from. Where Needy essentially, or I'm sorry, Anita, they call her Needy in the movie. Uh, they they she essentially surmises that she's a succubus which is quite the this movie goes a lot of places I say that yeah. the only time i'd heard of a succubus before this is uh the south park episode where chef is dating one it's their yeah. substitute teacher uh and I, I was like okay succubus all right i'm in like they're saying succubus in a movie where a high-paid actress is in the movie i think that's great there's even like rules like 
Jennifer says that like when she eats, she can like she's invincible essentially. I'm like, is this a video game? Like this is actually a pretty cool like yeah. world building that they have around this movie. But I think the the stuff that I love about Jennifer's body the most is, I mean, not only how like ridiculous it is. I think this is an absolutely ridiculous movie. Like, Unabashedly so. This is like a 1979, 1980. Like I saw Blackula before I watched this, and I was like, mm-hmm. these two movies could be a back to back. Honestly, oh, yeah. as far as just like how wild they are. But I, I think what I love about it is so poppy. Like it's, it's not a long movie at all. It's like 102 minutes. Uh, it gets from point A to point B really quickly. I think the dialogue still really holds up as well. As much as we don't like Juno now, I think you applied that type of dialogue to this movie and it, it, it really does work. I think it's a sharper script than Juno. Like it has, she she has the uh, Aaron Sorkin, uh, she has in um, Diablo Cody has the Aaron Sorkin problem where it's like, you instantly know it's her dialogue yeah. and like that to its detriment. And then in certain cases, like jobs to its fucking benefit. Yeah. Like, and and I, so I'm a big social network fan. Oh, of course. I love, I love social network. Um, like Sorkin is goofy, but done right. It's fantastic. Done right, it's same fantastic. thing with Diablo. Yeah. It's got this rhythmic percussive quality to it. And it's funny. I mean, there again, this, this lives and dies with Megan Fox, who, as you guys rightfully brought up, like, she was under fire for all the wrong reasons. We all, the same way we owe Monica Lewinsky apologies, culturally, we owe Megan Fox an apology. She should have a, she should be in movies every yeah. year. Yeah. Now. I don't even know the last movie. Uh, no, I don't. I don't know the last thing she was in. The last oh, thing I can remember I watched her in was This Is 40, uh, yeah. where she's like the, you know, kind of self aware herself yes. as a joke almost. Yeah, the, last like movie, the last movie, the last movie that she was in, are you guys ready for this? I'm gonna, is it going to make me sad? Uh, the last big movie that she was in was uh, Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Yeah, no! I forgot about those. Those were kind of hits. I'm people like those. I mean, I'm not a Ninja Turtles guy, but people love those two movies. I like the first one just because of what it was. Wait, these are, aren't both those Bay also? Yeah. Yes. Well, he, didn't, he, he didn't direct them. He did not direct them. He produced okay, them. Okay, they're, they're uh, what's his? Brockheimer. No, no. He, what's Bay's production? It's something like the Ferrari fuck yeah. king. Ferrari <laughs> fuck kings. No, it, it is. Uh, it's platinum dunes. There yes. Is. Okay. But just going back to what I said, like it, she is un- so unbelievably good in this, and like such a commanding presence and fierce, and she she knows how to read Diablo's dialogue. Again, like we f- we as in this dumbass sexist country like foisted in a, a dumb dumbness onto her because she is so beautiful aka hot people are dumb like yeah. that's sort of the what she was pigeonholed into but like she knew what this movie was from jump and having a director like Corinne behind her who like understood the tone of what this sort of tongue in cheek slasher inverted rape revenge uh fantasy movie was like it, it it really actually pisses me off that it flopped because like yeah if this comes out today same fucking movie it's a hit and Seafried makes like she doesn't quite have the reputation she should have either yeah because she also makes like weird shit like Mean Girls I know it's become like kind of a basic culty thing now but it was originally like a smart like actual cult movie yeah. that people really loved and she's done like a lot of stage acting and she did Twin Peaks like she she's her involvement in this project is another endorsement of Megan's involvement and performance in this project. I completely agree. Seafried is another like underappreciated one for them, one for her kind of thing. She'll do like a Mamma Mia, but then do Twin Peaks. Yeah. And like, 
she she's also been sort of written off as like, you know, a just a pretty face kind of thing, which is like, you know, a very depressing and grotesque reality for so many young, beautiful female act- actors that um, it's just it's insane. We're coming full circle to be like this movie flopped because of these things, which and this movie is about those things. I, I mean, the, <laughs> Fox's delivery of getting a wetty is like one of my favorite fucking things from a movie that came out around the time when it came out. Amanda is doing a Scooby-Doo movie that's coming out next year, so she'll she'll be fine. That slaps. Yeah, they're all they're all gonna be fine. Wait, who's who's playing Scooby? Uh, Scooby will be voiced by Frank Walker, who does uh, Megatron's voice. It's a, it's an animated movie. It's an animated movie. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. I okay. remember hearing about this. It's called Scoob. But back to Jennifer's body. Uh, I I we're skipping all over. Uh, because there, it is, I mean, pretty straightforward. Uh, essentially, the crux of the movie is uh, Anita's character trying to stop Jennifer uh, from killing all of these boys. And uh, she eventually, t- toward the end, she does fight Jennifer, uh, kills her with the utility knife, a nice uh, weapon there, uh, ki- kills her and the demon inside of her, but she attracts all of the powers that Jennifer has. Um, she she's found on top of Jennifer because of course she kills her and, and, and her, her boyfriend has died in the final fight process. Yeah, and she's killed Jennifer in her in her own house, which is kind of crazy that you would not just run. But uh, essentially, the movie ends with uh, Anita going back to the mental facility as a as a callback to the beginning of the movie, going back to Low Shoulder and killing them. Ending the movie, I really enjoyed this. I did. Uh, this movie is a movie that. I was kind of doing what we're doing right now with it, even when it came out. Uh, I was like, you, no one saw it. I mean, obviously no one saw it. Uh, and I just saw it because I was in college and pirating every movie that came out at the time, whether or not I was even going to watch it. Uh, but I, I've loved this movie for a long time, and I think it's a shame that it's taken this long to find an audience. Yeah. And also, like, we need to show love to any any, you know, pop culture item that, turns uh chris pratt into just like a a completely prop meat sack he's uh, a cop right? yeah yeah fucking uh, g- giving a shadow of his politics today uh, also uh also shout out to us this movie was released uh in september 18th 2009 so i mean oh yeah happy 10 year anniversary shout wow. out to us again <laughs> for the timing on this couldn't have been more perfect they're showing it at beyond fest i might try to go see it we should we should definitely go see that shout i'll out definitely to go see fest. it man Let's let's go see that uh, next month at Beyond Fest. Uh, do you guys keep this movie in the video store? Emphatically, yes, a hundred percent. And I, I like movies like this that have had a re um, a, a rejudgment, a uh, a revisiting where a a, um, a positive reckoning. Yeah, a, a reckoning. That's the word I was looking for. Where a movie that was unfairly maligned. Uh, directed by a a unique, fresh female feminist voice uh, that was almost like snuffed out before it had a chance to blossom um, uh, is getting the the props it deserves. So yeah, we put this not not just keep it in the store, we put it on the front shelf. Yeah, uh, I'll keep it as well. Really enjoyed Jennifer's body, and of course, I'm a I'm a big horror fan, so uh, I love the horror elements here. I love the comedy as well. These movies do well today. And I think, you know, I say we've said it before. I'll say it a third or fourth time here. Like this movie would do really well if it was released today because like movies like Ready or Not, uh, this Black Christmas remake that they put a trailer out for today, which seems to be in the same vein as this as well. Like 
these movies do really well. And I think this would have found a way bigger audience today, just where the world is. I think the world being different 10 years ago, and it's just crazy. It's just been 10 years, guys. Like, it just look at how much different things are. Uh, this movie would definitely be. I think so. And shout out to April Wolf from the uh, Since Cannibalized by Gross Libertarians, LA Weekly. Um, she wrote uh, The New Black Christmas. Absolutely. Uh, so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Paranoid Poppy Yee! and the LA party that never, ever ends. We'll be right back. Joker conversation in the first half of the show. Yeah, and the Jennifer's, but the Joker conversation energy carried over into the Jennifer's body uh, conversation. I feel worked up about that now. We're, like, mad at, we're mad at the libs and the right. Well, I'm always mad at the libs, and yes. I always hate the right. Um, no, but I, I was one of the original Matt Stone, Trey Parker uh, comments. I, I, I hate conservatives, but I really fucking hate liberals. <laughs> I don't remember which one was the worst one. No, it was, I think it was. They hated liberals more. Um, yeah, but they were like, you know, libertarians. But yeah, it was 2000. Yeah, it's whatever. I'm glad we had that conversation on Mike because, as you can tell, folks, we were kind of just figuring out our feelings in real time, which is very rare. Like, usually, you know, we have a, a plan as to what we're talking about. But, uh, yeah, the Joker conversation is going to break everyone's brain. I already suffer from Epstein brain. I don't need Joker brain now. It's like, oh, wow. yeah, <laughs> it's bad. Uh, we are talking about Karen Kusama, excellent, underrated director. Uh, she, we talked about the wonderful Jennifer's body. We glanced over the terrible Eon Flux, but she takes really long breaks between movies. Like, do, do you guys ever like? How do you guys feel about directors that take that long between movies? Not many people do that. It's a, it's a different it's a different conversation because sadly women don't women directors often don't have the choice they have to yeah. they aren't getting the same kind of offers or opportunities as you know hack men do it's like the trevor uh the colin trevorrow situation like aber duvernay like won the higher award at that sundance that year and he he got the bigger budget first yeah. like it's it's um in the in their freshman and year but it's also, like uh uh 
Karn may, I mean, this may or may not actually be consequential in how long it takes, but almost every one of her movies was written by her husband. Yeah. Yeah. For so sure. I imagine like they have a, a I don't know, a, if not a specific getting funding for their projects process, a specific process before and after they have funding. Right. And yeah. I, I think she's a true like indie director in spirit. Like she goes away, does the work quietly fucks off and makes a couple million directing like billions or, you know, like Chicago fire or some shit. And then comes back and makes a really quality original film. And uh, yeah, I, I have no problem when someone like Corinne does it. Uh, it just bumps me out that um, her seems to be out of her breaks seem to be out of necessity and because of how shitty and uh, misogynistic Hollywood is. That's a whole other story. Always, always got to stab at the <laughs> stab at the establishment. Got to baby. That's that's my role here. <laughs> uh, speaking of quality films, 2015 saw the release of The Invitation, a thriller uh, yeah. directed by Kusama, written by Phil Hay uh, and Matt Manfredi. It stars Logan Marshall Green. No, not Tom Hardy. Uh, not <laughs> uh, shout out to Logan Marshall and shout out to one of my favorite movies. From last year, Upgrade. Loved Upgrade. We uh, loved it. We had a blast watching that motherfucker. Just like we would have had a blast if we'd seen The Invitation together. A thing I love about The Invitation on a personal note uh, is that I think it came out kind of as uh, the three of us were cementing our trifecta. I mean, this was years before Cam was on the scene. But yeah. I read Paranoid Poppy was one of... Uh, Eric's first online personas that I can remember uh, knowing him for. Yeah, I, I <laughs> his uh, Twitter avi was uh, Logan Marshall Green's character in this film, and my banner and my <laughs> name. Like I committed to the bit. I, I this movie completely altered my molecules in chemistry. I was it, like, Eric was going to LA parties, uh, running around the house. <laughs> Things are what they seem here. <laughs> um, no, I have this movie is a masterwork in economy it is a tight 90 minutes 89 minutes it's 100 minutes but go ahead (laughs) that's actually i would say that's a testament to how good it actually is is that a movie like this that runs 100 minutes usually you'd be like you feel "Ah, they could have cut 10 or 15 this is a tight feeling movie right so that's a testament to the economic use of pace and just uh writing but it's basically a chamber piece. It more or less takes place in a single house the whole runtime. You're um, a sucker for that. Yeah, I mean, I, so, so am I. Yeah. But you've referenced liking that with hateful eight. Yeah, I'm, I, I sort of my thing. I love I love a good chamber piece where like something is off. You you immediately know the tone is off of this kind of new agey L.A. crowd, or like kind of bourgeois. You know, live in the hills, um, sort of this isolated ivory tower kind of house. Um, and our protagonist, uh, Logan Marshall Green, knows something is off from the jump because this dinner party is from his ex-wife, who in the past they lost the child due to, you know, just a, a freak accident. And it's, you know, caused the, a, a chasm and, and a severance in the, in the marriage. He has, he has since dating a new woman and, you know. She is hot. She she's a she's a great looking woman. Um, I'm blanking on the actress's name. Somebody help me. Um, now, honest to God, uh, the only person from this movie whose name I recognize. Uh, but also, Matsy. Her her name is Emma Yatsi Corn Corniality Corn 
Imiyasi Cornialdi. Sorry. That's a really nice name. Yeah, she um I know she's done a lot of TV as well, but like yeah, he Logan Marshall Green is the really the only name besides um the massive unit John Carroll Lynch who plays ahead. Oh yes, I'm I'm actually wrong also. Uh, Michael Wiesman uh Wiesman whatever you say it uh, uh-huh. uh or Misha, I don't know. He's in Game of Thrones. That's true. Uh he's in a lot of character yeah, actors, and basically. He, he's, yeah, yeah, and he's in uh, that bullshit show, uh, Haunting of Hill House. Right. Uh, you know, not we'll keep this tight, much like the movie is, but it, um, a group of disparate friends who haven't seen each other in a really long time get invited to a dinner party, and immediately the vibe is tense and dread-induced. And like a typical L.A. party, you don't know if it's because it's just L.A. and everybody's eccentric. It's just and, the mood people are bringing in or yeah. a combination of that and circumstance or what. Or if there's something actually sinister lurking uh, in the horizon, which, which mean, comes to a head in a very – my second favorite you know, stylistic choice of like the slow pressure cooker where it's like the tension is ratcheted up one degree at a time from the from the moment it starts to the fucking climax. And then when it goes from that seven to the eight, you're like, ah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and you're I, literally, this is one of those movies that you're just on the edge of your seat. I mean, Once Upon a Time did this, not to the same, not to the same low-key low, low key extent. But. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you pretty pretty much uh, <laughs> wrapped it all up for us there, Eric. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the movie does uh, have a, a, a sense of dread from the moment that it starts when, uh, when Will, you know, hits a a a, uh, a deer on the way in, I think, I think it's like a wolf or a coyote. Coyote, yeah. Shit. I mean, not a deer. Yeah, it's it's like a it's a coyote, a coyote, and and they have to dispatch of the of the animal, and it's like, okay, where is this gonna go? And I think there's a, a feeling of uneasiness throughout the whole movie, where it's like, what is this gonna be? How is this gonna turn out? And I, I felt the same way about that when we saw it in Midsummer. Where it's like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And yeah, wait, perfect comparison. And you you wait for at least eighty minutes of this movie before the other shoe drops, <laughs> and you're you no know, like you know you're not watching the movie because something's gonna go right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, essentially, you're 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 trying to figure out what what's going on, and you know, once you find out how you know, it, it's a pretty I mean, spoilers, of course, but it's a pretty basic uh cult plot in the movie but i think we, we all guess that and i mean I, I don't take away from the movie for it being predictable in that in that sense because the sense of dread before it kind of builds up to it and you're like okay i'm all in on it no i'll never say no to a, a, a plot that involves a cult as long as it's done right i mean i'd watch a thousand movies like that yeah and like and this movie does a really smart thing where it's like the cult isn't you know, as easily noticeable or as demonizable as, you know, something like where you watch Midsummer and you're like, okay, this is fucked up. This is fucked up. Like you, you really don't know if our protagonists who I rightfully dub as paranoid Poppy. And when I adopted his persona on Twitter for a year, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you don't know if he is traumatized because as I've, you know, sort of spoiler alerted earlier, like he did lose a son and, uh, there's flashbacks that indicate, you know, there's some unpredictability and some volatility there. Um, so you don't know if he is, this is a manifestation of his paranoia or of his trauma and he is in the wrong and he's like rightfully or wrongfully suspicious of all these people at this party. But like, you know, themes of grief and 
mourning and moving on are like sort of central to this. So like the culty people as new agey and, you know, people we roll our eyes at now, like, you know, the Herbalife of uh, people. Um, <laughs> uh, there's moments where it's like, nope, they're the definite villains. And the next scene, you're like, oh, wait, maybe they're, they're just regular weirdos. Yeah, they're just like adults who are trying to move on with their lives. Let me, I, I just want to briefly compliment the movie for this with the, I hate the horror trope. And I get why it's necessary for making some horror stories more tellable than others, especially the wackier or weirder that they get. Right. But I do not generally like the horror trope that a supernatural or so horrific becomes supernatural experience helps someone deal with the trauma they're entering the movie with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, you hate Midsummer? No, no. I think Midsummer is a uh, Midsummer does the good version of it. And so does this movie because it uses it as a circumstance for why the characters are behaving like that rather than establishing it as a circumstance that needs to be cured by the movie's end, like a movie like the Babadook does. Yeah, I, I think that that's the, most, that's the most interesting part of the movie is that nothing is really answered with Will's depression or him coping with it at all in the, at the end of the movie. It's just, Which I think is true to life. Yeah, like there, there is no ending to it. You know, he has to fight through these terrible, awful cultists with his new girlfriend and they win. And then it's like, OK, what's next? And I think that it's cool that there is no answer to that, because, again, we're here to deal with the uneasiness of what his ex-wife has gotten into and gotten him into before we he can even deal with that. Right. And uh, the the new agey culty stuff is that is the villain of this movie, not the actual people. Cause it's like, it really is just people throwing themselves into, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like a, a, a different coat for a different traumatic season. It's like, instead of facing this trauma head on, which is the most impossible thing to do, it's impossible to grapple with losing a child, but these people run to these new agey culty self-help gurus as a way to real, instead of, realistically and honestly facing that trauma. So it's like, yeah, there is no resolution to Wills, but the fact that he wants to face it like an adult and accept it that it happened instead of pretend it didn't happen and, you know, run away to these idyllic uh, fancy parties where you talk, where you do coke and... and, and in, the, in the hills. In the hills, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you're like, you're putting all these 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 illusions uh, ahead of the realistic trauma. And, I, you know, it deals with it, and it's a testament to Kusama as a director where it's like, she lets her camera linger on these people. It doesn't judge them, but it, like it gives you enough character color to like either be suspicious of them or like listen to what they have to say. And she's really just an eyeball in that house as her camera sort of glides from room to room, and you watch how these people interact. You're like, all right, who? What the fuck is going to happen yeah. here? Who's going to be the one who actually snaps? And there's people who show up and leave, and everyone is everyone seems fucked up. Like yeah. the host, the host seemed fucked up and weird. Paranoid Poppy does because he's so paranoid and aggro, but turns out he was justified. Um, I mean, this movie's just like there's many surprises that you would expect, wouldn't expect in such a a movie we've seen before, kind of thing. I think one of the things, I mean, obviously we've described this as a pretty good LA movie, and yeah. everybody when you first move here, you go to parties that you don't belong at and that are like way above your pay grade <laughs> and that type of shit. I think something this movie does really well, on top of doing that, is it establishes without outright villainizing, you know, people who, 
whose lives have led them to the point of living in the Hollywood Hills, whether they were born into the wealth or earned the wealth. Uh, Just driving through the Hollywood Hills, you realize that not only are the houses astronomically more expensive, unimaginably more expensive than many other houses, just because of not even necessarily the isolation of these houses, but the steepness of the hills that some of them are on and the smallness of the driveways and the one-wayness of the streets, you realize just how expensive moving into one of these houses would be. Yeah. It's almost fucking impossible. Yeah. That that's how like that's the point of privilege that people are operating from. It's not even that they're rich and live in a, a, a wealthy community. It's the inaccessibility of what they've achieved, whether or not it makes them good or bad. And the isolate, the self-isolation of privilege too, is like a horror element in itself. It's like, if, even if there was like upbeat music playing and the sun was out in this movie, there's still something off putting and unsettling about this cat, like this really windy road and these, the roads get, as Pat said, thinner and thinner as you get up there and, yeah, the self, this, the sense of isolation and alienation is like sets sets the setting in a really eerie way it's from e- jump. Eerie Pleasantville. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Are we keeping this? You guys, you guys love this movie clearly. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's one of my favorite movies of the decade. It would make like a top ten list. It was like my favorite movie of the of twenty fifteen. I think. Um, I mean, you talked about it on our the. Best of the decade that we did earlier this year, didn't you? I think so. I I try to bring it up all the time because, like, it it was a mild hit for an indie film. I think it made like eight million bucks back at the box office. I remember, like, I lived with like it did not not make that much money, not even that much. I think it got a more uh, view. It cost cost one million dollars and made 350k. What, yes, I thought it at least made its money back. That's crazy. I bet it got more of a back end on Netflix and. In VOD, yeah, I remember seeing Eric, it. Made, saying that it made eight million dollars is like, <laughs> I don't know what. Let's let's call it a mixed mixed box mixed office. Box office. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh my god! I, I the, when I, I lived with like two movie guys or whatever when this came out, and it like it was necessary to see it yeah. when it came out. It wasn't. I mean, whether or not I was seeing it for free or whatever, it was a big deal. Yeah, and you know, it it sort of it sort of captures everything that Kusama does well, which is tone, uh, environment, and a mix, a, uh, what's the word, a mishmash of genre where it's, this is like an, this was like a inverted home invasion. Like the invasion was yeah. already from within, but there's comedic elements. There's like funny stock characters that, you know, there's moments of levity doesn't take itself too seriously. Of course, the horror and suspense elements are there. And, like, not to be Eric too woke here, but, like, I don't think it's a coincidence that the only survivors are a black woman, a gay guy, and, you know, I mean, not that the white guy surviving is woke, but, like, you know, a bunch yeah, of... Yeah, what are you getting at here? <laughs> it, 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 was, it, there was, it was a movie that came out pre, pre-intense pre representation conversation that had great representation without drawing attention to itself. Like, it didn't... That wasn't the point of the movie. It just existed naturally in the environment. Which I think is good. I like something that most movies have trouble doing. Yeah, most movies like to announce that they're diverse or whatever, and it kind of takes away from the humanity of it. And I thought this movie did a really good job of having a diverse, um, beautiful cast too. Uh, we're gonna keep this in the in the 
in the video store. Really quick, before we end on Kusama, I want to talk about Destroyer and if you guys saw it. You know, I didn't get to see it, and it's one of those movies I want to because I love Kusama so much, and I was on my way to see it at AFI Fest, and I got called away to work or some stupid shit, and I was really mad. But I remember this being the most polarizing of her films. I, I, I mean, I haven't seen it because I'm scared that it will negatively impact my opinion of the other two. And also, I was <laughs> trying to watch it during the day today, and I ran out of time. Well, uh, I saw it earlier this year. Um, I didn't really like it that much. I, I'm mixed. I'll say I, I was mixed on it. Uh, for all of the Nicole Kidman looks crazy in this movie, and she does, uh, I thought that the actual plot itself was very, like, blah I, I felt that some of the writing was was really like kind of it tries to be really ostentatious and like really gritty and kind of a pulp but it just ends up being like another it, it felt really tarantino to me in a lot of ways if yeah, that makes sense. the the trailer was like even the trailer felt kind of like oppressive like it was so it well, the was more, so intense the, i was just like what i like felt i felt unpleasant watching the trailer and i think that's the point but like the movie's I, slapping you in the face with Nicole Kimmons ugly in this one. And it, it's like, that's literally what the movie is. It's like, you're not meant to care about the story. You're meant to look at her performance. And that's if, I mean, if that's the case, she had, a, she was really great and she absolutely deserved all the praise for it. But I thought the movie itself just didn't, it didn't click for me at all, especially in a, in a year where, when this came out, this was a year that had widows, you know, where it was like, there were a bunch of, uh, there, there were a lot of movies where it had women kind of subverting your, expectation of what you know their character should be and i thought they even even with the juxtaposition of those movies this wasn't to me a, a really big moment last year or even in kusama's uh filmography yeah kusama's like you know one of the masters of you know a genre but also like subverting the male gaze and you know to a lesser extent in the invitation obviously because it stars a you know a cis white male but i I wanted to see Destroyer and like, it was one of those movies where like I saw five star ratings and half star ratings, yeah. nothing in between. And yeah. Nobody was like, it was all right. But everyone was like, I viscerally hated this movie or it's like one of the like most surprising movies of the year. But yeah, I'm, and I'm glad you brought up widows. Cause I will never forgive the, the American public for letting this movie flop. One of the things that I, that it seemed like from again, like cursory glances at Destroyer stuff today. Also it, before you start, Pat, I give it a half star review too. <laughs> yeah, you didn't give it uh, I, I was looking at some of the letterbox reviews right now. Uh, it sounds like the in regards to her looks, the uh, some of it is either very good or totally ridiculous uh, in terms of some of the makeup and stuff. Uh, but it seemed like the the thematically Jennifer's body does a lot of this stuff better. Just from what I could tell from without spoiling all of Destroyer for myself. Right. Yeah. Without taking itself as seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it is. Uh, body has a succubus. So <laughs> well, well, that's what I want. It, it's 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 interesting. There, there is actually somebody on my letterbox friends list who gave it five stars. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Uh, but yeah, that that is the uh, I mean, this is probably the easiest late fees we've done. She only has like five movies like five or six movies. I hope that the shorter gap between Invitation and Destroyer means that it's uh, coming again soon, that she's going to get another one. Uh, I don't see... I think she's getting, like, I think she's getting some 
Marvel, uh, right? Isn't she doing some superhero stuff? No! Like TV, like TV stuff? No, I actually... Uh, yeah, isn't she doing like a TV show? I have no idea. No, uh, no, no, doesn't doesn't look like it from what I'm looking at. Nope. Well, Justin, you as the and Pat as the resident horror lovers of this pod, she did direct a pretty fucking gnarly uh, short in the anthology horror series XX. I was hoping yes. I'm going to bring this up because I'm embarrassed I didn't see it. it it's, I, I saw it. I saw it. It's it's okay uh, as a whole, but I really loved her vignette the most. Uh, Hers was she had the best one. The rest of it was pretty trash. I'm it, not was, gonna lie. It, was, it was pretty mid. There were some surprises there. I like the uh, the camping one, and uh, but yeah, Corinne just like yeah, she as restrained as she is, it's like she's very restrained and economical, as I said. But then when it's time to unleash some violence, she'll she'll really turn up yeah. the volume. I feel and, like these horror anthologies always have one like that. It's like oh that well, that was the good one. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. It's hard to stick a landing in eight minutes of, yeah. you know. Um, but, yeah, uh, put some respect on Kusama's name. She's one of the, the masters working today. She needs more opportunities. And uh, Paranoid Poppy is always right. Yeah, and, and with that, we will close the door on Paranoid Poppy and this episode. Uh, as always, make sure you follow us at RNC Radio Live for all the latest and greatest from RNC. Of course, we have shows like The A-Show, The Lookout, So Help Me God, Mount Silver podcast. Uh, we have a couple of returns uh, popping up for the fall season. Of course, uh, we're going to announce those when it's time. Uh, but what you have to look forward to and what you have to do your homework for, uh, for the next episode, which will be on the 20th of this month, we will be talking about Rambo as a series. I am so excited for this. I have never seen any of them. Wow. Wait, what? what? Never seen I, First blood is gonna break you. I'm, I, really, I'm I, I one time I heard somebody talk about one of the Rambo movies and say basically the plot is he kills everyone in Asia. So I'm excited to see how the politics of the Rambo movies hold up. Well, all, I, of the, I, all of them have different politics, which is the weird that's part the of best it. part. <laughs> uh, I I think if I'm not mistaken, and I might eat crow on this, but I think the like opening cue card of the first Rambo is like. The American people stand with the rebels of Afghanistan who fight the Russian threat right now or something like that. <laughs> it's like it is like a crazy Reagan era imperialistic throwback. And like, yeah, I can't wait to get into this one. Well, we were just doing the government. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as always, thank you guys for listening to Late Fees. We will see you in two weeks. Do your homework. Uh, I'd say if we were going to watch any of the Rambos, I'd say watch First Blood. I think we should definitely do First Blood and do the uh, more recent one, uh, John Rambo, that came out uh, in the 2000s. So watch those yeah, two. The one that like, he was allowed to make when people thought Sylvester Stallone was famous again. Yes, watch those two. First Blood for sure, because I want I want Pat. I, I'm thinking this is going to make Pat cry. First I'm going to watch, watch every single one. I've been waiting for years for an excuse to watch these, so this is great. Well, all right. And, and while you're at it, just watch Tango and Cash to see the most fucking weird uh, sexualized movie of two 40-year-old men I've ever seen in my life. Starring Sylvester Stallone. But that's, a, that's a whole other story. All righty. Until, <laughs> 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 Until next time, uh, for Pat and Eric and Cam, we, we miss you, buddy. Uh, we'll see you guys next time we appear on this two weeks. Yeah, you know the rest. Peace out. King Kusama for life. Peace. Down on the West Coast, they got a saying, if you're not.